Look, that thing there is all smoked up. We, we got a pair of pliers and a screwdriver. We can find out. I think we should just start poking stuff. Oh, all right. All right. don't do that, folks. Tune into the Grease Gurus. Don't go to the emergency room. Go to the Grease Gurus and learn why your car might have stopped on the side of the road and what not to touch. On Saturday mornings <laughs> from 10 a.m. on the Tan Talk Radio Network. Ouch! That hurt! Hey, listeners. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Last comes the motion picture from the greatest book of traffic citations ever written, Cannonball Run 2. Pardon me, sir, I'd like to see your license if I might. You want cars? Cannonball, Cannonball, You want curves? Down and dirty. You got it. Cannonball Run 2. And this time, there's no limit. No limit to the lunacy. No limit to the chaos. What could go wrong? No limit to the stars. Burt Reynolds. What a guy. Don DeLuise. What a team. Dean Martin. Sammy Davis Jr. Jamie Farr. Mary Lou Henner. Telly Savalas. Shirley MacLaine. Susan Anton. Catherine Bach. Jackie Chan. Richard Keel. Don Knotts. Ricardo Montalban, Jim Neighbors, Charles Nelson Riley, Joe Theismann, Abe Vigoda, Frank Sinatra. They've made the run that couldn't be done. We're here to help you win. Cannonball Run 2. Hey, this is Wayne Carini from Chasing Classic Cars, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cards, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Claywater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, don't forget to check out the archive or podcast page, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. So, anyway, we got a fun-filled show for you this evening again. And uh, this weekend, this weekend is... Amelia Island Collector Car Week. Yes, this is the weekend that pretty much everybody in the Southeast. <laughs> yeah. Pete, good evening. How you doing? How you doing? Good? <laughs> pretty good. I like that. Very Right on cue. Very good. I'm trying, man. Yeah. Okay. So at any rate, uh, yeah, this is the uh, event, the car, uh, Collector Car Week uh, that everybody in the Southeast and Florida and everybody's been waiting for. And uh Kudos to Bill Warner. Bill Warner is uh, the founder and president of Amelia Island 
concourse and over the last 23 years he has done probably the most remarkable job in fact he's done such a great job that other concourse have copied and emulated everything he's done this year there's a number of feature cars and we've got a guest coming on a little bit later who's going to be talking quite a bit about some of those events and uh, in fact he's well known in the industry as well and he comes from a long line of people that uh, a family that is well established in the racing world as well as uh, aftermarket uh, i should say aftermarket but uh, automotive products so anyway that's what we got going on so what we did this past weekend, let's do a little recap. We had the National Mustang Racing Association event take place at uh, Bradenton Motorsports this weekend. And yes, yours truly was there. In fact, uh, we called in because there was this other radio show. We have some good friends, and you need to tune into this. It's on Tuesday. Uh, no, it's on Saturdays at 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock. It's called the Grease Guru. So we had to give them a bunch of... Uh, a little razz in there, as they say, because they're Chevrolet guys and we're Ford guys, and it was a Mustang Racing Association thing. So we called in and we uh, kind of gave them up to an update. But this weekend is the National Muscle Car Association event, which is basically the same thing. So what it basically entails is a lot of drag racing, a swap meet, a big car show, lots of vendors, and lots of fun. It's a three-day event, and they had some pretty fast cars. At the Mustang thing, um, I got a rare opportunity to meet uh, you know you do see some these are small they're regional events okay so sometimes you've got some big players that show up and the big player that showed up this time was actually carl tasca now if you're familiar with tasca ford tasca ford probably was one of the most well-known prolific ford racers out of the 60s and uh this year is the 50th anniversary of the cobra jet mustang and carl tasca as well as his uh siblings and cousins and aunts uncles nieces and everybody related to the tasca family are well known for having one of the very very early and they only made a handful of them i think it was 50 of the 1968 and a half 428 cobra jet mustangs well now ford reintroduced the cobra jet mustang they came out with it a few years ago and that car has been setting records in its class so they were there with one of their cars running the car and they were doing a little testing and tuning because in two weeks is the gator nationals and uh so that's the nhra event and we will be at that event as well we will probably be visiting our friends at amley oil since amley is one of the primary sponsors of the gator nationals and they have a sky booth up there so uh we will probably be talking to those guys a little bit and we may even have one of them come on the show as a guest and talk but we are going to get uh carl tasca on the show because he runs a cobra jet mustang so we're looking forward to having him on there but there's just a lot of really cool people there the swap was pretty pretty neat um, there's a lot of stuff but you know nowadays when you go to these events what you see primarily is tons and tons and tons of late model stuff so there was a lot of fox body stuff there was a lot of 94 to 2004 stuff there was some s197 stuff which is 90 uh, 2005 to 2009 and cars and then um, the 2010 2011 cars i think still had basically a 4.6 and i think 2012 they came out with the coyote motor so that's been a win-win situation that's the motor that pretty much dominates its class and yes it does outperform a chevrolet ls motor so i just want to throw that out there because there's some guys that uh were running the ls motors particularly in some of the fords which you know us ford guys aren't too fond of that but that's okay uh the new coyote motor oh yeah it's killer in fact a friend of mine had a uh probably one of the nicest restomod panteras i have ever seen and uh it's 71 72 so it's a small bumper car 73 74 were the big bumper cars i only brought them in the united states legally when i say legally that they were brought in through the importers and they were sold at lincoln mercury dealerships back in 71 2 3 and 4 they were brought in through uh ford motor company and were sold at lincoln mercury dealerships and they sold for around 10 7 to eleven thousand dollars, which is a relatively reasonable priced sports car or let's just say an italian exotic and uh today they're pulling a hundred thousand dollars but anyway so he had this really neat pantera there and generally for us purists you know we like to see those cars relatively original but his had a uh, coyote motor in it and uh so the installation was absolutely incredible the bodywork was absolutely incredible the interior was all redone in leather just beautifully beautifully done the wheels were 18 inch wheels i'm not sure what they were but they looked really good had a great offset the car had an incredible stance and he was in contention for winning best of show so uh that was a pretty cool piece so but that was the one of the neater cars there the drag racing was great 
the uh, you know the usual stuff that's going on there. It's pretty much bracket racing, match racing, all that kind of stuff. And uh, so I got some pictures. We put those up on our Facebook page. We put them on our Twitter page, some burnouts and things of that nature. And then, of course, I got to run into my usual friends, and I got to uh, meet Mike Galimi. He was uh, the guest that was on our show last week representing uh, the National Mustang Racing Association and the National Muscle Car Association. And Steve Wolcott was there. He's the uh, founder and, and, and president of uh, both those associations. And then my friend Mike Z was there, and he uh, runs the concessions at Bradenton Motorsports. So uh, if you're ever down there, just run into Mike Z and say hi. He's a Ford guy, and he does a little racing here and there and stuff like that, but, you know, amateur stuff. But he's a serious car collector, and I've known him for years. At any rate, so that was that. For That was a highlight of that day. And then uh, Sunday was the Sumter County Swap Meet. So because the fair was going on, they moved the Sumter County Swap Meet over to the next big lot. The thing I liked about that was – is that it made it kind of like one big giant rectangle with nice, neat, clean aisles going up and down. So the four or five hours that I was there waiting up and down, and I say waiting, you know, as in waiting in water, waiting up and down through the parts and stuff and the vendors, was a lot more, uh, let's just say it was easier, you know, because it was more organized and it's just like the, you know, it just makes it kind of more systematic. Typically, um, they've got like four or five little areas, and you got uh, different fields, and the cars are kind of, and the vendors are scattered all over the place. So you just never know where you're going to be because you always want to be where the new vendors are because the new vendors always bring out the cool stuff. And uh, unfortunately, again, you know, it's the same thing. There's not a lot of vintage stuff there. It's more contemporary stuff. So it's more 80s, 90s stuff, and that's what a lot of guys are into these days. So for us old farts, um, yeah, it's not as much fun, but it's more or less just going there and hanging out, and it's the camaraderie of the whole thing. So that's what's a lot of fun. So let's go to the Florida Car Show Minute, because if you want to find out where all the car shows are in the state of Florida, you definitely want to check out flacarshows.com. So we already talked about Amelia Island this weekend. We also talked about the NMCA, which is National Muscle Car Association. We talked about uh, NHRA, which is uh, next weekend, the 16th through the 18th, which is the Gator Nationals. And then also next weekend is the Sebring 12-hour race, which is only on the 17th. But there's support races the 16th and the 17th. I guess actually in the 15th they're doing testing tuning. 16th they got some support races and the actual 12-hour race is uh on saturday so and porsche again is favored to win so that's pretty much that in a nutshell um let's see what else i want to talk about oh yeah yours truly will be going to heading to a island this weekend and i'm going to be working again with uh, our good friends over there at hollywood wheels they've got some pretty amazing cars and I will be the reader on the block, which is always kind of a real treat. I love doing that job. It's kind of cool. And I'm going to be working with a gentleman by the name of Brent. Brent's a super good guy, great auctioneer. And the neat thing is is we kind of go back and forth. We kind of banter. So it's kind of neat because we try to keep it entertaining a little bit. You know, it's not the typical, it's a 1965 Mustang. It's red, it's automatic, got a V8, got mag wheels, or it's restored. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, buy it. You know, we try to keep it kind of into, hey, look, we got this really stunning-looking 1965 Mustang, and it's got a pony interior. It's got a 289 motor with a chrome dress-up kit on. It's got mag wheels, very period-correct-looking kind of car. This thing would be a lot of fun. This is something you can't wait to jump into and take out to your local car shows or just drive around in the countryside just have a really good time. You know, something to that effect. So that's kind of what we do. We try to enhance a little bit. And uh, so Hollywood Wheels has got some pretty cool cars there. And one in particular, one of my favorites, they have a 1969 Lamborghini going through there. Now, the 1969 Lamborghini happens to be a Mura. And the Mura is, by most car aficionados, experts, uh, historians, collectors, considered the very, very first supercar. Although the Ford GT and a lot of Ferraris and stuff like that were out there, they didn't really fall in the category of supercars. They were basically considered exotics. Now, this car, the Lamborghini Mura, which has a transverse-mounted engine in the back, clamshell rear hatch, clamshell front, really cool-looking doors, probably the absolute and uh, most – I don't even like to use this word, but it's definitely the sexiest car ever built. And uh, it's just got the best lines. It's just – this is a car that from any angle looks great. The Lamborghini Mirror. They made the 400. They made a 400S, which is what this is, and then they made the SV, which is my favorite, which is the latter of the of the three cars, and that came out in uh, like 71, 72, and that's got the bulgy flares and the 10-inch wide wheels on the back, the campies, and uh, just uh, really cool knockoffs. It's just a great-looking car. So I'm looking forward to reading the story on that car. We also have a Lamborghini Periscope, Countach, Countach Periscope model. Now Alan's probably listening, and Alan's going to call in and correct me. 
And the Countach, the very first ones, when the reason they call it a periscope is because the rearview mirror, you actually look into the headliner, and it actually kind of reflects back. It's kind of like a submarine. And if you look through, it's got a the roof line is notched. And so there's actually not a rearview mirror. You actually look through, look at this. It's like a reflection. It's kind of like a, a refractor. And uh, you look out. Through, you look up into that, and it's kind of like it's, you can see everything behind you. So, and they kind of, like I said, it's like a periscope, and uh, so that's hence the name. That's the nickname, is the uh, periscope Lamborghini. But we got a number car. We got a BMW race car. We got a Porsche race car. We've got Jags. We've got uh, a McLaren, and we've got some vintage Cadillacs, a couple of Eldorado Brits convertibles, 1959. I think there's a 1960, a 1957, some Fords, some Thunderbirds, some Shelbys. We've got some really cool stars. So go check out the website, hollywoodwheels.com, and you can find out all about that. Um, I think it's time for a radio show giveaway. What we're going to do is uh, I've got some tickets to the National Muscle Car Association event this weekend. And uh, I'm going to give you a quiz. All right. So what – now pay attention here. Give us a call here at the studio line. is 727-441-3000. 727-441-3000. And the phone number is, if it's toll-free, is 1-866-826-1340. That's 866-826-1340. Now, we were just talking about the Lamborghini Miura. What was the first year – for the Lamborghini Countach. The first year for the Lamborghini Countach for two tickets to this weekend's National Muscle Car Association race down at Bradenton Motorsports. Give us a call here at the studio, 727-441-3000, 727-441-3000, or 866-826-1340. The first year for the Lamborghini Countach. All right, so feel free to give us a call anytime during the show, and you will be the winner of these two tickets. Now, I think what we're going to do, we're going to go to a song. So everybody turn up their AM radios and their transistor radios, and then we're going to come right back, and we're going to have our guests on the show. So here's a little classic uh, 60s garage band music. It's called I Am Five Years Ahead of My Time. The Third Bardo. By The Third Bardo. Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgia Creating Cards. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back.
Looking for car shows? Then look no further than flacarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, flacarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at flacarshows.com. What the hell is this? Agent Denham, that is a 1963 Ferrari 250 GT Lusso, owned and raced by the coolest cat who ever lived, Steve McQueen. This was his baby, and now it's my baby. You got Steve McQueen's car parked in your living room? And here I thought you were an ass. I paid a million for it 10 years ago. I wouldn't sell it for 10 times that. We're 65 stories up. How do we get out of here? You don't. This car was taken apart piece by piece and reassembled inside this room. Well, this car will eventually be sold at auction with the rest of your belongings. Only if I'm guilty, Agent Denham, which I'm not. This is Bill Warner of the Amelia Island Concord Delegates, and you are listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're... We're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman's been on our show before, and I'm delighted to welcome him back, Ed Justice. He's the president and CEO of Justice Brothers Product, and if you're like me, you've probably used some of their stuff on your car to keep it uh, working and in great shape. Ed, how you doing? Welcome back to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey, it's great to be on with you here. Well, now, you are an expert radio show guy because I know you've hosted numerous shows. You've been MC for numerous shows. So if anybody deserves accolades in, in the world of, uh, let's just say, uh, hosting, that would be you, right? Well, uh, I don't know about that, but I sure appreciate the kind words. I really do. Tell us a little bit about uh, Ed Justice real quick. Give us a little background for the new listeners that are just tuning in. Okay, well, I mean, uh, give you the, uh, like they say, the elevator pitch. Okay. Uh, I was a, I was very, very uh, lucky guy, blessed to be born into the family that I was born into. Uh, I was uh, born in Jacksonville, Florida there. I am a Floridian by, by birth. And my family spent 10 years in, in North Florida there, or as North Floridians uh, always say, Southern Georgia. <laughs> uh <laughs> Because any, anywhere along that northern deal, right, you're right there on the border. So anyway, uh, during that time, my dad and my, my uncles became the first sponsors in NASCAR uh, with the product that they were selling at that time. And they made the first uniforms in NASCAR, which were introduced at the 1950 Southern 500 at Darlington uh, Racetrack up in Darlington, South Carolina, which happened to be the first 500-mile race in nascar history and it also happened to be the first uh nascar race on pavement uh they sponsored red byron in raymond park's car when he won the first nascar sanctioned race on daytona beach uh knowing that they were running stock cars on daytona beach before bill france organized uh you know the association of the stock car racers into nascar uh they uh, won indy in 1950 and that was all part of them uh, having this new product that they need to advertise. And also, uh, they had been approached by their former employer, Frank Curtis, who had the Curtis Craft Roadsters, of which my uncle was his first employee. And then my dad also worked there, helping to build several hundred midgets after the war and also some Indy cars. Uh, and we got second in 52. My uncle uh, built an Indy car in Miami, Florida with Lou Moore, who was the builder and owner of the Blue Crown Specials, which won a couple Indy 500s right after the war. They were very, very strong cars. In fact, when we won in 1950, that was one of the cars that we beat. And uh, that car that they built down in Miami, I, I think to this day still stands as the only Indy car that's ever been built in Florida. Uh, the car failed to qualify. This was 1953. And uh, Jim Rathman, who was the driver, he used to have car dealerships down there in Melbourne area, uh, switched to another car, and Lou Moore uh, left the Indianapolis racetrack disgusted, and that was it. I don't know what happened to that car, but it would, even though it didn't qualify, it would be a real historic car to uh, to own. But anyway, and so, you know, 
last year, we uh, still are involved at Indy. Our first involvement at Indy, uh, other than being a spectator, was 1946. My one uncle was on the winning crew. Uh, we sponsored our first car in 49, and from 46 to last year was 72 years of involvement out of the 100 and, what is it, two uh, races. And so they tell me we hold the record. And uh, we've got a couple cars entered uh, that we're going to be sponsoring this year. Uh, not announced yet, but we will have two cars under sponsorship. So this will be our 73rd out of 103 races. So, And it goes on and on. We, we've sponsored Don Garlitz. Uh, my dad and uncles put together his first paid sponsorship. Uh, of course, he's a local uh, Florida hero. He's a national hero, let's face it. He's... He's a legend in drag racing, great guy, has that beautiful museum down there just north of uh, Orlando. But So it goes on and on, and I think that's enough. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. How do you determine, while you're on the subject of sponsorship, how do you determine who you're going to sponsor? What's, what is it that, that draws you to a certain team, a certain driver, a certain car? What is it? What is it? So from your perspective as a potential sponsor, how do you determine that? I've often wondered that. Well, that's a good question. Now, you know, I mean, uh, everybody does it differently. Obviously, uh, we've had a little experience in this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, we might do it differently than some. I mean, case in point, okay, uh, last year uh, we were lucky to win the 24 Hours of Daytona and the 12 Hours of Sebring to start the year off with the Wayne Taylor uh, team. Okay. Uh, you know, the 36 Hours of Florida, as it's known. And uh, the Wayne Taylor family are—they live in, in Orlando, Central Florida, right? Yeah. And uh, the team, the race team's based in Indianapolis, like a lot of race teams. Mm -hmm. uh, it makes more sense to base a team in the center of the U.S. than it does on either of the coasts. And uh, so, one reason why we work with them—I mean, obviously, it's a—it's an excellent team. I met Wayne years ago. And upon my first meeting with him years ago, I was just impressed with what a great guy he is. Uh, very, very easy uh, to approach, very approachable. Uh, and they have a really great family. Uh, of course, uh, we lost Ricky to uh, Penske Racing this year, which was a good news, bad news thing. Uh, it was tremendous uh, endorsement of Ricky as a driver to be recruited by Roger Penske and bad news for us as a team to lose them. But we have Ranger uh, van der Zan from uh, Holland, who's also a very, very good driver. So, you know, that's racing, but, but for the Wayne Taylor to use them as one example, great family unit, great people. And they happen to also just really be very, very competitive. I'm, I'm always so impressed in how that team operates. Uh, and you know, uh, Coletta Racing. I've been with Coletta Racing now for just about 20 years. Uh, Connie Coletta, a legend. Uh, you know, a great, solid team of four cars. Uh, they're always in the hunt. I mean, they're one of the main players. Uh, Connie and his people, again, great people. Uh, J.R. Todd couldn't find a nicer guy as a driver, and that stands for all of them. Uh, Alexis DeJoria, uh you know, retired last year, but before her retirement, just an outstanding person, very popular with the fans for good reason, and a serious competitor. And so, you know, I mean, I, again, I could go down a long list, uh, but that's really the case. I mean, it's not all about winning uh, to me or to the company, because as I always tell people, there's 33 cars in the Indy 500, and there's only one winner. And for the other 32 sponsors on the cars that did not win, I cannot say that that was a losing proposition. I don't believe in that. Uh, because if it is a losing proposition, you'd better, you're better to take your money somewhere else. Uh, because, you know, even though one out of 33 is a heck of a lot better than playing most lotteries, which are one in 14 million or more, uh, it's still tough odds because it's not a straight one in 33. You know, teams like Penske and others have a little bit better edge. You know, it's like a horse race. What are the odds on the horse? So, But the people, uh, performance, uh, you know, uh, do they represent a positive image? Uh, are they 
friendly with young fans, which is a big deal for me? Uh, do they help, uh, you know, further auto racing, uh, you know, by what they do off the track as much as what they do on the track? You know, all those things come into play for me and the company. And that's true. And, and, and not only that, but just like you said, it don't necessarily have to be in the winning car because really racing, you know, we used to joke and say, you know, race cars are rolling billboards. So your name's out there. You're getting exposure. You know, yeah, it's nice to be on the winning car or, or, or the top two or three or whatever, you know, a, a podium finished car. But pretty much if you're out there and your name's on there, you know, you're, you're a player. You know, you're a company that's got wherewithal. For sure. And, and look at uh, it, the rolling billboard analogy is very, very true. Uh, but that also, you know, it's, it, it cuts both ways. And the fact of the matter is that racing always has to realize that they are actually competing against actual billboards and other forms of advertising, too. And, you know, a lot of companies today, uh, you know, they look for their return on their investment. Meaning, what are we getting out of these dollars that we're putting into this? Are we getting as much by sponsoring a race car as we would by, you know, having billboards along the highway, uh, whether it be in Florida, California, or somewhere in between, or TV commercials or radio commercials on a show like yours? Uh, you know, you have to weigh all that stuff. And we do, but the other thing is where we're a little bit different than other people, we were started by the sale of a race car. That's where the majority of our seed money came to start this company. And it was by the sale of a midget automobile, midget racing after World War II was the largest form of racing across the U.S. And I've always looked to some of my heroes, one of which was Walt Disney, who obviously Disney has a major presence in Florida. And his saying, which I thought was... Uh, taken to heart for me was I never hope that I, I hope we never lose sight of the fact that this was this was all started with a mouse and with Justice Brothers I've always told people we can never lose sight of the fact that our company was started by the sale of a race car so in some respects we sponsor a lot of people as a pay it back proposition because it's where we got our start we love auto racing. Uh, we think it's a great form of family entertainment. And uh, the automobile is, is a passionate thing for a lot of people across the U.S. and the world. And we support that. That's great. That's really great. Um, one of the things I want to talk about this weekend is because we have Amelia Island coming up. And I know you're a big fan of Amelia Island as well as Pebble Beach. And you're a really good friend of Bill Warner's. And who's originally from Jacksonville? Well, we're talking, and a big Porsche guy, and a big race guy, and a, you know, I mean, he's just like the quintessential car guy, you know. Now, Amelia Island has always, and this is the twenty-third year. I've always been impressed with the way Bill's done it, and he always does feature cars, feature groups. Now, what my show is not long enough, and I've got to have you on more often. But you have had the amazing opportunity to meet some of the most outstanding incredible legendary people in the motorsports world and not just motorsports world the car world in general well one of the and and you know it just it never ceases to amaze me but one of the features this year is big daddy ed roth okay and his cars and you knew him personally and i would love you to just expound on that for the next 10 minutes or 15 minutes or so and just talk a little bit a little bit about your experiences with ed roth the whole concept of ed roth and 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 maybe some of the cars that are going to be featured here okay yeah i'd love to uh i'm also a judge at amelia island too. Oh, that's... I'm, I'm, I'm judging an unbelievably tough class of legendary race cars but that's a whole nother subject but anyway i look forward to it uh, Ed Roth was a great guy. He, he, uh, you know, he, he was a self-made guy. He was actually a lot more intelligent, very intelligent guy compared to what most people thought. Uh, he was a very well-read individual. And when I was growing up, I mean, I consumed those Roth catalogs. I mean, they were like, uh, I get a copy of Boy's Life, uh, and then in the back of Boy's Life, you'd you had ads for a company called Johnson Smith, 
who sold all sorts of things that young boys should not probably possess, like cattle prod, shockers, and you know, <laughs> stuff like this. And so you, that was the other thing you got. You got a Johnson Smith catalog, and then you got a, a Roth Studios catalog. And in Roth Studios, they would have all sorts of T-shirts and stickers and, you know, support your local fuzz, which fuzz was a term that they used for the police back in the day. And, you know, Mustangs kill Camaros, and they'd have some monster in a Mustang running over a Camaro. And then they'd have, of course, the vice versa, Camaros eat Mustangs, you know. And they made T-shirts for anything and everything, you know, uh, And some of them, in that period of time, when you look back, you go, wow, how things have changed. They, uh, Hot Rod originally, they wouldn't run the ads because they said these T-shirts are a little bit too provocative or racy. And, I mean, you know, my gosh, they're really mild, really, when you look back at them. But but back in the day, they were considered a little provocative. So Rod toned down some of the stuff a little bit. And also Hot Rod, they said, yeah, you know what, we're overreacting here. And... Uh, Roth was, uh, he had five boys and we can't, we can't go without saying he had five sons. And I always tell people, you know, you can overwork your sons and generally not get thrown in jail. Now today, I don't know, you know, it depends, but, (laughs) but if there's somebody else's sons, you're going to get thrown in jail. So Ed Roth had five boys, which was a small workforce. Okay. And he worked the, uh, wheels off those boys at, Ross Studios down in Maywood, and uh, they helped them build cars. They helped them fill orders. I mean, my gosh, it was unpaid labor. It was like a dream come true for Ed Roth. And uh, Dennis Roth, I'll never forget, he told me when he went into the Vietnam War and he was going through Fort Ord up in uh, Monterey, California, and they were going through boot camp, and one of the guys in boot camp was moaning and groaning about how tough it is, and they're killing us. Oh, my God, I can't take this anymore. And Dennis said, I looked over at the guy and said, man, this is like a holiday for me. You should have grown up under my dad. He said, this is like going on vacation. This is so much easier than my daily life back at Ross Studios with my dad. He said, he worked, he worked our fannies off. And so, but, but Ed was a great guy, and he was a very good friend. He, his last business card that he handed out, uh, we had a, a co-sponsor branding deal with him, and it had our trademark on the card. And uh, I kept a few of them. But, boy, I tell you, guys run into me. God, I got one of those cards. Oh, they're so collectible and cool and all that. He, when, anytime they'd run a Roth car on the cover of a Peterson magazine, that being Hot Rod, Rod and Custom, one of the, the original Robert E. Peterson magazines, the sales would go up. And uh, it was a mutual, uh, beneficial relationship. It built Ed Ross' name, and it helped build Peterson. It helped sell magazines. So everybody won. So Ravel says, hey, Ed Roth, you know, first like Tweety Pie, one of his first cars, the uh, Roadster Hot Rod, they go, uh, we'd like to make a model of that. Of course, plastic models in that era were huge. And guys like me and other people, we build them, maybe not well, but we did build them, and they were fun, and you learned about a car and all that. And they needed Revell, who was one of the big model manufacturers, another one being AMT, but it was very competitive business. They needed some products that AMT didn't have. So they signed Roth to an exclusive contract to build one car a year, only for the function of issuing a new model. And Ed got paid a lot of money to come up with a new car every year. And most Roth cars, uh, a lot of people don't realize, they don't run. They're strictly car show cars. You might say they're curbside cars, meaning uh, they sit by the curb and they can't, they're not drivable. And they're conceptual type cars. And uh, for those who do know that they don't run, we have no problem with that because they're just great, you know, imaginative vehicles. Now, as he built cars a little bit later, then he started to make them where they were runnable or drivable, uh, you know, fully operational. And uh, But Ravel, I mean, they sold, those, those models now, are, the originals are very collectible. They've reissued some of them. And uh, they're going to have, I think, eight cars down at Amelia. And even though that might be considered a small class, 
those are eight iconic cars. Now, a lot of them, if not all of these cars, may be owned by uh, Bo Bachman, whose uh, family owns Galpin Ford out here in uh, the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles. Uh, they have been the number one volume Ford dealer for over 20 years in the U.S., and uh, they've amassed a pretty nice collection. And and for whatever reason, I'm not quite sure, Bo has been struck by the Ed Roth cars. Uh, the youngest of the Roth boys, Daryl Roth, is really responsible for saving a lot of those cars from oblivion because once they were on the car show for a certain period of time, uh, they just became an old car show car. And at that time, nobody really cared. And a lot of them went to junkyards and this type of thing. And Daryl and, and uh, some of his friends located a number of these cars and, through the years, restored them and then put them back into circulation. And now, uh, as I say, uh, guys like Bo Bachman, who, who has the most for sure. I've got a couple Roth vehicles in our uh, private automotive collection here. Oh, wow. And, and, uh, but, uh, and Dennis, of the five boys, and unfortunately two of the sons have passed on now, uh, prematurely uh, at too young of an age. But of the five boys, Dennis Roth is, uh, without a doubt, I think anybody would say that knows him and, and knew Ed, the most like Ed. And he traveled with Ed quite a bit. Ed never got a hotel room, okay? I'll tell you some, <laughs> I'll tell you some funny things. Uh, you, you could say he was quirky, okay? He never got a hotel room. This guy knew how to get, uh, you know, he knew how to make Washington cry on the dollar bill, right? Because he was uh, so cheap, <laughs> uh, is the old saying. All right. So they're coming across country in their in their car, and he used to ride on Harley's. He started Chopper's Magazine, which a lot of people don't realize or they've Did forgotten. He? Uh, he actually Ed Newton, when he was working for Roth, came up with the logo for the Hell's Angels. Uh, another really unknown bit of lore so when he started choppers magazine he made up a bunch of posters of a bunch of the hell's angels back in that day that you used to buy in this catalog and uh i mean uh, you know um sonny barger uh well, i think one of the guys is mexican head or some and uh tiny who was not tiny and <laughs> uh and and all this so he used to ride harley's cross country and then Harley's back in that era, they leaked a lot of oil. You know, they weren't real reliable, uh, you know, back then. Not like they are now. They're a solid motorcycle for sure. And uh, and so he got tired of that, so he made the trike up. And he, he originated that fiberglass-bodied wild trike that was uh, one passenger in front and one passenger behind with either a uh, Porsche motor, or you could also run a Volkswagen motor on it. And so he was traveling across country with that, with his stuff strapped onto the back. Well, then he had a little Honda Civic, and he had a uh, pickup, too, I think, that will be on display, which they found, which is pretty cool. They found his shop truck. And uh, so Dennis and he were coming across country in, a, in another vehicle much later, and they were in Oklahoma somewhere, and they pulled off the freeway, the interstate, and they needed to find a place to sleep. So they stopped in front of this industrial facility, uh, low-level, sort of mid-century modern architecture, got this giant lawn in front, you know, like you see in some of these places. Giant lawn. I mean, just because the property's so cheap, they just can do it. So they got this giant lawn. So they they roll out onto the lawn with their sleeping bags <laughs> under the stars, okay? Now, this oh, is in wow. an area... It's in an area of Oklahoma, Texas, where, you know, it's so quiet in the town, the old joke is they roll the sidewalks up at night, right? It's, you know, come 730, there's nobody in town. So, no big deal. They, they lay out on the lawn. Well, I think it was about 2 in the morning, this sprinkler system deploys. Oh. And, I mean, it's unbelievable. From the way Dennis described it, they are just getting soaked and all. So they run and they get in the car. About the same time, the local police officer shows up and wants to know, so what's going on here? And so, you know, Ed talks his way out of it and all that. Another another story that's sort of an interesting story, uh, Roth, Von Dutch, Dean Jeffries, 
Oh, wow. Larry Watson. All these guys came out of the Linwood Compton area, okay? Back when that was Custom Car Central. I mean, it really was the epicenter for the custom car world in Southern California. And and Von Dutch, Jeffries, and Roth were good, lifelong friends. All three different personalities. I knew them all, and all three different, okay? Uh, Von Dutch had a party, and so they go over to his house, Ed and his wife at that time, they were still married, and the five boys. So the five boys are in the pool, and they're, you know, splashing around down in the shallow end of the pool, playing and all that, and the party's going on. And, you know, Von Dutch had this fascination with weapons. Oh, yeah. He uh, was a gunsmith. Guns. He yeah, was a gunsmith. And, and also knives. Oh, okay. Yeah. He also made knives, too. Yeah, he, he did. And uh, the the one book, The Art of Von Dutch, is an excellent book. Uh, unbelievable work these guys put into doing it. It's a very, very good book. And so he, you know, he'd machine his own guns. So he's got a new gun he wants to show Ed. So he brings it out in the backyard, and he's shown it to Ed. And he fires off a round or two into the deep end of the pool. Hmm. Well, uh, Ed's wife comes flying out of the house (laughs) and tells the boys, out of the pool, Ed, we're leaving. Boom. Gone. Just like that. I mean, it's no no discussion, no questions, because really with Von Dutch, you never quite knew what might happen next, because he was, you know, he sort of went to the beat of a different drummers, as you might say. Okay. And, and uh, you know, so there were weird things like that that would happen. Now, Dean Jeffries, he went off in a different direction, and he went into the movie car business. And uh, Ed would call him every once in a while and say, Hey, Dean, you need to come out on this car show circuit and, and do this. God, it's just going great and all that. And, and Dean told me a number of times, I have no desire to do that anymore. He says, I... I stay here at home, I do the movie stuff, I do the stuff right here, and I don't have to travel on the road all the time. He had gotten burnt out of that because uh, Dean was the guy that took Pearl Paints to Indianapolis, among other things. But, but anyway, back on Roth, uh, you know, it's a great tribute. I'm glad to see Bill do it. And really, you know, you, you said some of this stuff, how he comes up with these things. The key to Amelia Island and uh, and Bill Warner is the passion. Yes. And, you know, Bill has an amazing passion for this stuff, plus he knows it. And you mentioned about him being a photographer. He's a, he's an excellent photographer. I mean, I want to tell you, uh, you know, uh, I'm a motorsports photographer, too. Bill and I have a few things in common. And he and I were a couple of the only guys that were shooting uh, using a Swedish-built camera called the Hasselblad uh, at uh, stock car races and road races and that type of thing. Uh, And Bill's photographic work is, I mean, it's artistic. It's as good as you can get. Uh, It's historic. It's legendary. And so the guy has lived this all his life. And, uh, I mean, it shows. That show that he has put together there in the beautiful state of Florida is world-class, and everybody knows that. And everybody looks forward to going to it and attending it. And if you live in the, in, in the reasonable proximity of that show and you've never attended, uh, shame on you if you're a car person because it is absolutely world-class. Uh, I, I talk about that show all throughout the year. I have Bill on every year, and I mean, he is just he's he is he is a true, like you said, car guy. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. Real quickly, we got a minute or two left. Tell us how the Rat Fink came about. What's the origin of the Rat Fink? Well, the Rat Fink, uh, which unfortunately some of the young people don't know as much now, but Rat Fink was meant to be. Uh, Mickey Mouse's alter ego. Okay. <laughs> and and he's the bad Mickey Mouse. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, you can't touch that Disney uh, uh, copyrighted characters. Uh, Disney's pretty adamant about misuse of their characters for obvious reasons. Uh-huh. And so Ed thought he would come up with, you know, Mickey's alter ego. And uh, since he was a mouse, mouse uh you know what would be the bad version version of that a rat 
and uh, with the flies flying around and green and ugly. And of course, rat pink's been every color under the sun. Uh, you know, I mean, just like Mickey is today on some of these deals. But but that's how it came up. Yeah, I mean, and you know, Big Daddy. Of course, there's been a lot of Big Daddies. Big Daddy Garlets, Big Daddy Roth. Uh, that that came out of the Beatnik, uh, you know, era. era. And uh, you know, Ed Big Daddy Roth, and his slogan was "Monsters that mean business." Monsters that mean business. Okay, I like that. I like that. Now he he when he did his stuff, was he? Did he start out as an artist, or what was his? And I think we got about two minutes left. What was okay, his? Okay, automotive guy. I'll explain very quickly how they built these early cars because that's really sort of interesting. The cars would he'd start out with two by fours, okay, and most of his cars were built by buying frames and motors out of the junkyard and then prettying them up. Uh, and people may have a hard time believing that today, but no, he did it. He'd start out. He'd build two by four basic grid work for the body. Then he would start uh, putting plaster Paris on that two by four grid work and basically sculpt what the car was going to look like. Okay. Then he'd take that plaster Paris sculpture, and you might have used paper in there too, also to fill some of the areas, newsprint, whatever. Fill it with anything, and then he would take fiberglass in your squares and put fiberglass on top of the plaster of Paris, make sure it's thick enough layer, and in effect, that's how you would create the body. Then he would come, and you got this plaster Paris and wood underneath the fiberglass now, rip the wood out, knock the uh, plaster of Paris out, hose it off as much as you could, and then you had the body that you could then mount onto the frame with the engine with all the dolled up injectors or whatever that he did and that's how they would come about on some of the cars when they were original you could literally look up in some deep dark crevices of the body and find plaster paris still up in there wow that's actually sort of a great idea on the way to do it i mean uh you know you create you create you get to see what you've got and then you just laminate it with with fiberglass so he was a car guy yeah big and, and just and just to say hey i like these cars i'm going to build something custom and wild and wicked and that was it that was his uh yeah that's how I, he you know what and, and maybe more artist than car guy mm-hmm. uh and not taking it any away from the car guy because he you know with the artwork and all and and you know he he was a good artist ed was a good artist but the majority of his work he had hired uh artists like robert williams who's a big time highly collectible uh um, what a lowbrow artist uh, is the category art he's in. I mean, uh, God, a lot of Hollywood stars own Robert Williams' work. I mean, his stuff sells for really substantial money. And then Ed Newton also, uh, you know, as I say, Newt, N-E-W-T, went by. Uh, okay. And these guys, both of them were just unbelievably gifted artists. Ed I'm sorry, yeah. we are up against the clock right now. I do no want to thank, but anyway, thank you very much for coming on the show. I will see you at Amelia Island. And again, my listeners, I want to thank my special guest, Ed Justice, President and CEO of Justice Brothers. Don't forget to check out their website, justicebrothers.com. And we'll see you at Amelia Island this weekend. Don't forget all the other car shows. If you want to find out more about what's going on, flacarshows.com. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. They broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater. FM 106.1. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills. FM 104.3. Listen.